So let's say you're into yoga or Pilates, or maybe you dabble in gymnastics like me. Either way, you know being flexible is key to doing what you love. That's why Smoothie King created this stretch and flex smoothie for people like us. With whole fruits and organic veggies, plus type 2 collagen, make it part of your daily fitness routine to support flexibility and joint health. So try the stretch and flex smoothie in tart cherry or pineapple kale. Order online today for pickup or delivery. Smoothie King, rule the day. You're listening to the Huddle Up Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up Podcast presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports, powered by Overtime Media. I'm your host, Chad Jensen. With me, as always, is my partner in crime. You know him and love him. Is your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, Vic Fangio broke with tradition, broke with expectation, shocked the world, and gave the Denver Broncos players a field day on what should have been the final practice of minicamp. What were your thoughts on that? Hey, you and I yesterday were talking about the fact that so many people were made available to the media, five, and most times it's two or three. And we should have known that the, he, the, Vic Fangio knew it was coming. He planned this this way and to give the, the players a final day off. I couldn't support this move more. This will go such a long way is what I wrote in the story. And then a couple hours later, Will Parks tweeted that very line. It will go a long way in the Broncos locker room. This was a, a team building thing, a camaraderie thing, and a reward. It's, they're not just players and athletes, they're people too, and they've been busting their tails for months now, and they needed, they needed a break, and they deserved a break, and uh, Fangio gave them a break. It was, it was so nice to see them having fun. It feels like when's the last time we saw Broncos players have genuine fun at practice? It feels like it's been years. Yeah, that's the thing, is this is about you know coaches connecting with players, players connecting with players. It's about coaches letting the players know that, hey man, we understand that this is a high-pressure job that you guys have and the organization in particular is under some intense pressure to rebound from three forget you know forgettable years but let's take a deep breath and let's deflate this thing a little bit and just enjoy each other i think it's phenomenal step you know towards building the right culture and there's a lot of fans who have been wringing their hands over this the broncos can't afford to miss a practice you know double digit losses and back-to-back seasons this is unacceptable and to those people i just got to tell you pump the brakes okay pump the brakes because vic fangio is most certainly mr death by inches you know that's that's his philosophy and i don't think zach this takes away from that in fact i think this is part of his design to really get this team to you know because at this point everyone respects him we know that and there's a element of fear you know he's he's slow to give compliments he tells it like it is and all that but this is him getting his team to really buy into him, to really invest in him. And I think it's going to pay dividends. I mean, it's a small thing. It took away one hour of a practice today. The team still met this morning and went through all their uh, meetings in the in the yep. classroom, in the film room, watching yesterday's tape. And all that stuff still happened. And then he surprised them. He surprised them on the doorstep of them expecting to go and you know tape up, go out on the field and all that with saying, hey, man, not only is there no practice, that's canceled, but we're going to have some fun. 
Uh, there's no downside to Vic Fangio doing this. And any Broncos fan who's upset with this needs to reevaluate their priorities and have a little fun themselves. Uh, they've been at it the entire offseason. Most of the install has been in place, Chad. I think Fangio said it was 90% or so. So all of it's in place. And it, it shows that softer side. I think he's been known as this curmudgeon, this 60-year-old uh, guy who's come in here and, and no fun and, and all work and no play. And he has a different side to him. That Peyton Manning anecdote about the cheese and the wine in the locker room. That shows that he has a sense of humor, a very good one, too. And then he showed it today. He has a funner, uh, softer side, a lighter side. And that's what he showed. And it's good. You want players to feel like they're they're bonding with a human, not just a coach. They're you know a friend, not just a, a coach. And uh, it, it's, it's a respect thing. It's a reward. And like Will Park said, it's going to go a long way this fall in the regular season. Yeah, I mean, as bummed as I was that we weren't going to get any, you know, post-practice media availability from Fangio or the players, I was excited to see that they were doing this. And it's a great way, too, to kind of send off the players into this six-week break and, you know, set them off on the right foot with the right mindset, optimistic, positive, you know, so those vibes matter. And by the time they get back in the saddle here in a few weeks to convene for training camp, you know, it's back to business, and you better believe Vic Fangio will be all about that business. Uh, what I like about this is it shows that if they work hard enough, they will get rewarded. They will get treated like they deserve something. They're not going to be handed anything. And it shows that they have a guy who gives them respect and those who want respect give respect. And it's just that culture, like you touched on it, Chad, that culture in the locker room is already being instilled. And for them to buy in so quickly, uh, it's just it's amazing to see. And it was cool to see John Elway participate. You know, That's right. Dunked. And dunked. I mean, you know, the players on looking, watching the whole thing, the coaches, you know, the, kind of his subjects as the Duke of Denver, so to speak. And, you know, it's good for him to show a little self-deprecation there and yep. and take one for the team. And everybody enjoyed that. And, again, it's just it's just good for the team vibes right now, just the overall energy and mindset of the team. And I think it'll really help them take that next step in terms of bonding and coming together under the Fangio banner. But you know what? Today on the podcast is all about the VIP subscribers at milehighhuddle.com. We're going to dive into the mailbag, the Mile High mailbag, here in just a second. First, you guys, a quick reminder. Make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. That's the best way to keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening in real time. If you're listening on YouTube, don't forget to comment and like each podcast, each video, because that tells YouTube that it's a quality piece of content and it puts it out there in front of others. And if you're on iTunes, don't forget, leave your creative review. Give us that five-star rating. All right. Ain't no way like the cowboy way, have a cowboy kind of day, yeah. Try the new Big Sky Burger at Roy Rogers. It's Smithfield pulled pork, beer battered onion rings, American cheese, and spicy barbecue sauce on a Kaiser bun. Have a cowboy kind of day at Roy's, ain't no way you're going wrong, hey, yeah. DoorDash and Uber Eats available at participating restaurants. Time to fire up the grill. Time to go to Total Wine and find the perfect flavor to pair with those burgers. Ooh, I love their beer cooler. <laughs> you love their prices even more. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine and more. It is that time of the week where we take a peek inside the Mile High Mailbag because 
Zach and I are your football priests, and each and every week we're here to offer you the absolution and answers to your burning Broncos questions, and we love hearing from the VIPs. And if you are not a VIP subscriber and you want to be able to get in on the Friday mailbag each and every week, it's easy. Go to milehighhuddle.com, click on the green banner, and subscribe right now. You can get your first month for $1, or if you want to go in long-term, you can get 30% off your annual subscription. Now, the first question here, Zach, comes from Studley14. Going on six months as a VIP subscriber, he says, will Isaac Yadam ever learn to turn his head and look for the ball? He could be great if he just figures it out. Our secondary could be top five this year. And, Zach, I, I made a video with the help of Kevin Bolliard, the 24-7 sports guy, over the last day or so. And one of the things I talked about in terms of Chris Harris returning is this is a, a defensive secondary that could really be top flight this year. This is a yeah. revamped unit. And if Yadam could turn the corner, it just bolsters that, makes it even better. Hey, you know, he, he was very inconsistent last year, very up and down. Uh, I, you know, a lot of it was on him and technique, but I tend to think that the defensive scheme and the coaching played a part also. And the injuries, he wasn't ever supposed to be the number two, number three guy. He was never supposed to play that much. What I like about the secondary this year, Chad, they are so stacked that he can be the number four, number five guy and not have to worry about his uh, you know, significant contribution right away. He can kind of do his own thing and learn under better coaching in Donatel, Ronaldo Hill, and also, of course, Vic Fangio. Uh, turning your head for the ball, that's all coaching. That's technique. You, you tell him whatever you got to do, call it out in the field, have a hand signal, just look around for the ball. You can teach that to a player. He has the, the ability. He has the physical tools. He is a high-round talent, and I like him more than Brendan Langley was as a corner, so I think they have something there. They just be patient, and they just give him better coaching. They can crack him into a, a decent player. He'll never be a pro bowler, but he can be a decent contributor for this Denver defense. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not ruling that out as a possibility, slim though it might be. I mean, he's a very talented player, and I agree with you. You landed on the key here with Isaac Yadam turning the corner, coaching, coaching, coaching. You hear Zach talk about that all the time on the podcast, but – He's a very talented young player. He's got that length that the Broncos are kind of missed lately ever since Aqib Tlaib departed. He's extremely, extremely physical as a corner, and sometimes that has hurt him, you know, with the with the refs at times being a little grabby. But, yeah, he's, you know, if you go back and read some of his scouting reports coming out of Boston College, the big knock on him was lack of ball skills. And part of that is having the instinct to know and sense when you've got to whip your head around and look for the ball. And cornerbacks that struggle with that, if they don't get it corrected with good coaching, they end up really struggling, drawing a lot of pass interference calls, you know, big plays going. you got to be able to turn your head around. So yeah. I think that'll come with time. Isaac Yadam is still very much in the incubation period. He changed his number. Honestly, you know, we'll see how the playing time gets divvied up. But Isaac Yadam is one of my top candidates to you know, when you talk about players taking that quantum leap, young, you know, in their in their early years, Isaac Yadam's one of the top candidates for me that I think he might be a dark horse that we could see the biggest leap of improvement over year one to year two. I, I could I could see it for sure with good coaching because you, you know you mentioned his physical tools they're all there and he has you know everything in place he has to just put it all together. 
but if you can have your number four, number number five guy perform as a number two, uh, you're in pretty good shape. And they have just a stacked unit back there, Chris Harris Jr., Kareem Jackson, Bryce Callahan, all these different types of players for Yadam to learn from and to and to absorb information from. And I think he can he can work with them. Maybe they'll work him at safety sometimes. Maybe they'll work him in the slot outside. He has plans, Fangio, for this entire secondary. And it's going to be d- disguising and movement and mimicking and mirroring. I, I'm excited to see his progress. I just want to see that, you know, obviously his ball skills have to improve. But getting your head around, it comes down to coaching. That's one of those things where I expect Fangio to step in right away and correct that. You know, even though the Broncos have three top 10 caliber corners right now, the truth is Vic Fangio's defense is not one that is cornerback dependent. So what that means is you're going to see guys like Isaac Yadam, some of their shortcomings and deficiencies, you know, as they're growing and learning in the league, can and will be covered by the way Vic Fangio designs and calls his defense. So that's another thing to keep in mind as it relates to kind of analyzing Yadam over the next year under Fangio. Next question here, Zach, comes from Stuart Bronco going on two months as a VIP. Stuart says, I believe I remember hearing some sort of worry about Noah Fant mentally. I may be mistaken, but have you guys heard anything negative about his effort, his work ethic, his motivation? Also, from watching Drew Locke games, I noticed that his delivery looks effortless as I have ever seen. I know Peyton Manning's delivery looked like he was throwing a ball made of lead toward the end of his career, but having such ease throwing the ball must be a big asset. What do you guys think of this, and have you heard anything about his accuracy during seven-on-seven drills? Thanks, Broncos Priest. Well, let's talk about Noah Fant first. And I think what Stewart might be remembering is, I think you were, were, I can't recall, Zach, if you were there for the tight ends. You were. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Noah Fant at the Combine just kind of rubbed me wrong, okay? and, And I... You know, there's nothing to apologize for, just interacting with him personally, seeing how he dealt with the media, seeing how he conducted himself. And maybe it was just the type of questions that were he was being pestered with at the podium. He rubbed me wrong. He, to me, he kind of came off in that one small window of time as a me-first type of player compared to, for example, a couple of podiums down, his former teammate, TJ Hawkinson. But you got to throw that out the window because everything up to this point that we've seen since he arrived in Denver, I can't think of anything, Zach, that right. is cause for concern. Yeah, from everything I've heard, he's been just a top student of the game. I mean, he's been challenged by Fangio a couple times now, and Fangio said he has to prove his worth to contribute, as silly as that sounds for a first-round pick. But he's been keeping his head to the grindstone, keeping his nose in the playbook, and everything I've read and seen, he's been just learning the offense, and he looks good on the field, Chad. You and I talk about it all the time. He looks like an NFL tight end. He looks like that Jimmy Graham, Aaron Hernandez type, and it's exciting to see for the Broncos. But, yeah, there might have been concerns in the past along with some concerns about his hands, uh, but everything so far as a Bronco has been positive for Noah Fant. The aspect that Stewart's talking about here regarding Drew Locke's accuracy, thus far I think everything I've been told from guys watching practice every day in the media is that Drew Locke looks about what you would expect Drew Locke to look like this far into his very brief NFL career. Now, we all know that accuracy was one of the big knocks on Locke. Is, you know, even though he improved his completion percentage year over year it, at Missouri, he was maddeningly 
um, inconsistent at times with his ball placement and accuracy. And that's something that, frankly, he's really going to have to hone and work on. And, Zach, I think most fans, you should rest assured that that's something Rich Gangarello and T.C. McCartney are addressing. But up to this point, I haven't heard anything both neither positive or negative, really, about issues with accuracy thus far. Yeah, it's so early in the process that you know, even the Broncos said he wants the Elway wants Locke to f- focus on his technique and his and his accuracy and his and his arm angles and everything like that. He has the physical tools, he has the arm talent for sure, uh, but it's just putting it all together. Uh, it's just so early that you can't make a distinction one way or the other if he's good or bad. They obviously think he needs time, at least a year in the system to learn and develop. And if he gets that, like we always say, Chad, the Broncos could have a franchise quarterback. But if they try to rush that development or if any fans look for a conclusion based on a still incomplete experiment, you're going to get a wrong answer. you got to give it time and let him play himself uh, into the process. One thing, is, I mean, Stuart, you're not wrong about the way he – I mean, he is an effortless thrower, and that's really what jumps out when you watch some of the most supremely talented throwers, you know, that come into the NFL from the Patrick Mahomes of the world to even if you watch Joe Flacco throw the ball, I mean, he puts mustard, it's a tight spiral, and he can put some distance on it, and it looks like he's just, you know, flicking a booger, right? (laughs) That's what great arm talent, Jay Cutler, same thing, and, and that's something similar that Drew Locke has. You know, for now, though, it's just it's a matter of channeling that arm talent into means and techniques that are going to actually help him as a quarterback in the NFL. And like we talked about on yesterday's show, as it related to Joe Flacco, arm talent and having that power and and the ability to put some velocity on the ball that helps as a fail safe. You know, it can fit the ball into windows that other quarterbacks can't. It can create additional plays that for many other quarterbacks aren't there. But if you're going to succeed at the next level, you have to work on all the other small things that make up the greater sum of what it means to be a pro quarterback in the NFL. And that's what he's working on right now. Hey, arm talent, I mean, on arm talent alone, he's elite. That's why he was drawing comparisons to Patrick Mahomes in the pre-draft process. But if the Broncos want the same results as Mahomes, or at least, you know, comparable, they got to give him the same amount of time and let him learn, let him develop, and and not rush this process. If they could just be patient here, uh, they got something on their hands. All right, we still have three more questions we're going to dive into here in the Mile High Mailbag from our great VIP subscribers. First, though, you guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, Zach. So let's say you're into yoga or Pilates, or maybe you dabble in gymnastics like me. Either way, you know being flexible is key to doing what you love. That's why Smoothie King created this stretch and flex smoothie for people like us. With whole fruits and organic veggies, plus type 2 collagen, make it part of your daily fitness routine to support flexibility and joint health. So try the stretch and flex smoothie and tart cherry or pineapple kale. Order online today for pickup or delivery. Smoothie King, rule the day. Hey, don't forget the Johnsons are coming over. I want to find a rosé Jill hasn't tried yet. Let's go exploring at Total Wine. Their prices are ridiculously low. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, always low prices. Total Wine and more. Next question comes... From Christy2019, great VIP, great listener of the show, awesome on social media, very supportive, always retweeting, always helping to promote and support the podcast. Christy, we appreciate you. She's going on 21 months as a VIP subscriber. She says, you guys always have great perspective and extraordinary knowledge of all the Broncos happenings. We all appreciate the dedication it takes to do what all of 
the Mile High Huddle crew does. All stats and superior knowledge aside, what are some of your favorite football memories or moments? Gotta have a little fun every now and then. Thanks, guys. Now, Zach, being that you are kind of new to Bronco <laughs> land, right? As John, we recently coined the term. I'll say Broncos country. That's Let's face it, that's what it's called. Since you're kind of new, though, you know, you've told some parts of your story, you know, how right. it came to be. We've kind of gotten into that in past episodes, but what are some of your favorite football memories? Well, a couple Broncos ones, even though I wasn't, you know, a Broncos fan per se, is I remember the Jacoby Jones play. I don't want to bring any bad memories, but I remember being at the gym and watching that live and just everyone was going crazy when that happened. Also, uh, Super Bowl 50, you know, watching that game just as a fan of defense and a fan of Von Miller. That was incredible to watch that game. But as a Jets fan growing up, I got to say the 2010 upset in the playoffs of the Patriots. Listen, we didn't have much. okay, but that game. Beating Tom Brady and going to the AFC Championship and just going on a streak after beating Peyton, Peyton Manning with the Colts the previous week, yep. uh, that was a, a big high in my fandom as a Jets fan. So we didn't have much, but you know, beating the Patriots is always fun and taking down Tom Brady in his prime. I'll always remember that. Yeah, that was when you really thought that Rex Ryan and the Mark Sanchez marriage, the Sanchez, that they right. had something Sanchez. going. I mean, obviously they led the way with dominant defense and a great ground game. And they took their shots at times with Sanchez and Braylon Edwards and some of the San Antonio weapons. Holmes. Yeah, I mean, San Antonio loaded right. with Danny and Tomlinson. It was Thomas Jones. Team was a, a powerhouse. They were so close. And next week against the Steelers, twenty-four nothing at halftime. They rally back. They lose by a single score. Yeah. I mean that's that was just from high to low. That was epitomized what it means to be a Jets fan. What do you think happened, real quick? with Mark Sanchez. How did his traje- trajectory just go skyrocket so high in so, such a short period of time and then just, boom, straight to the earth? I think his talent maxed out. and They, they, they rode him only so far, and it was came down to coaching. I mean, Rex was a great defensive coach, but they had Brian Schottenheimer as their OC. And Brian Schottenheimer, for anyone who doesn't know, is a bad OC. So it, was all, it all comes down to coaching. And he just, I think, hit his ceiling there. And they have a coach who literally had a tattoo of his his wife and a Sanchez jersey on his body. It was just weird. It was a whole weird setup there. It just didn't work out. Here's here's a couple things from mine. So it's kind of funny because most Broncos fans who are around for the early 2000 teams, you know, the Jake Plummer era teams, most of you grew up, like me, hating Peyton Manning. Why? Because two years in a row, not only did he defeat the Broncos in the playoffs, but he embarrassed them. I mean, blew him out. I think it was 03 and 04 in particular, right? And there was that one play, for example, where he hits Marvin Harrison and Harrison falls to the ground untouched. The Broncos defense thinks the play's over and Harrison just pops up and runs it all the way for a touchdown. It was one of the most, you know, inexplicable plays you've ever seen in the playoffs. And for, during that time, I mean, he was known as a Bronco killer. And of course, Otherwise, you know, he was a phenomenal um, ambassador for the league, and he was a superstar. Don't get me wrong, and he's very likable, the stuff he did on Saturday Night Live. But when he became a Bronco, it was just so ironic that he, of all the quarterbacks, you know, that that the football gods would bestow upon the Broncos, it would end up being Peyton Manning just because mm-hmm. how badly he crushed them under his heel. And it's kind of similar in a weird way with Joe Flacco because Joe Flacco, of course, is – was on the winning end of one of the worst memories most Broncos fans have in recent history of that Jacoby Jones play, Flacco to Jones, and Raheem Moore not quite getting there, and everything that happened with that. So it's kind of ironic. But here's another one of my favorite football memories, and I've talked about this before, but 
the helicopter play, John Elway in the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 32, that to me, like that whole <laughs> game, it was just so anxious. Most fans who were old enough to remember that game, you know, up to that point, you'd been just wound up so tightly because the Broncos, every time they'd been to the Super Bowl, Elway's three previous times and then the other one with Craig Morton, you know, they'd just been embarrassed on the biggest stage. And so at this point, you were almost just happy that they had kept it a competitive game. You, you, you didn't want to dare to hope at that point. I mean, sure, you were hoping, but you didn't want to get over your skis. But that play where he went headfirst, the helicopter, that was the one moment, Zach, where I, as a young fan, went, we're winning this game. Like, there was something symbolic about that that was, like, you know, echoed into the future, so to speak, that, hey, I think the Broncos are going to win this one. They're going to bring it home. Must be nice to see a title, Chad. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we didn't think we'd ever get one, bro. We didn't you, think we'd ever. You got get a few one. though. You got a few nice quarterbacks there. That's more than New York fans can say in what uh, half a century. Yeah, but you know what? The Jets still, even though they haven't been back to the top of the mountain since Namath, they have one of the most iconic moments in all of NFL history. Like but the, well, no, that's not exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. But that that moment of Namath walking off the field after the Super Bowl, after he defeated the the Colts. And Finger he, in the air. Yeah, that number one. Like, it's just, you know, that's a, a sweet moment. Now, that's not enough to sustain a fan base for half a century, but, <laughs> you know, that that's cool. So, I don't know. Another favorite moment for me was, and this is kind of general. I won't, it, yeah, yeah, there's so many specific moments from that 2011 season, Tebow. But just overall, that season, what a whirlwind it was. And every game, some sort of miracle was wrought by the Broncos. You know, and it was crazy how they got to such a high, and Tebow mania took off, and it was just insane. And then they went on Zach. They, you know, the NFL basically figured out the Broncos' offense with Tebow, the way they had battened down the hatches and just ran the ball. I mean, he had the one victory in KC on the road where he completed only two passes the whole game, <laughs> and one of which was a touchdown to Eric Decker, and they won the game. So all that hype and all the Tebow mania. And then they lose three straight and back into the playoffs, and especially the ignominious way in which they closed out that season by not only losing to the Chiefs at home, but a Chiefs team quarterback by Kyle Orton, who had started the 2011 season as the Broncos' starting quarterback. He comes in, beats him. I, I can't remember. It's like seven to six or seven to three. It was just a sad, sad, and pathetic effort by the Broncos. But because the football gods had been kind, they ended up still winning the division at eight and eight. But then that next game, Pittsburgh Steelers, the defending AFC champions, come into Denver, number one defense in the league, and the Broncos shocked the world. Yeah, I don't want to talk about Tim Tebow. <laughs> That's okay. His his biggest memory in New York was running shirtless through the rain in training camp. That was the extent of his highlight in New York. Isn't so, it you know, ironic yeah. that he chose – he could have gone to Jacksonville back home, but he chose to go to New York. Elway gave him basically pick of the litter. Like, here's one option, and I would actually – I think he would have got the Broncos would have got more compensation back from Jacksonville's offer, but they let Tebow choose and he chose the Jets. I think it was the the, the capitalizing on the entertainment there and being in the the media capital of the world for his you know engagements and speaking and stuff. And that's a pretty good choice comparing New York City and Jacksonville. Absolutely. Well, great question, Christy. Thanks for helping us kind of lighten it up a little bit. Next one here comes from Bronco Guy sixty five, going on eight months as a VIP. Bronco Guy says, Vaughn held his annual pass rush summit. The media had mixed reactions to the annual event. I'd love to get your take on the event. Do you think it's worthwhile, or is it giving secrets to the competition, Zach? 
I, I don't know where this narrative came from. He's been doing it a couple years now, and suddenly I think it was Pro Football Talk suggested that he's giving away secrets. I mean, what is he really saying? And even Vaughn said, I mean, he, I'm not doing anything but sharing what we already know. It's just an advice session. It's just a brainstorming session for the NFL's elite. I love it. I love to see all that talent come together. I mean, they're not. he's not spilling Vic Fangio's defense out on a whiteboard to all these players. He's just sharing what he he's come across, and they're all sharing that. So I like it, personally. I don't have a problem with it. Two things. One, I think a lot is getting made too much of media mixed reactions. Like It's not like there was some bunch of negative press on Von Miller's summit. He received, I think, one question, at least from the Broncos media, about kind of the perception of sharing trade secrets, right? And, I mean... But I've explained that my own psychology. When this first came up, I don't know, a week and a half, two weeks ago, whatever, we first mentioned Vaughn's um, annual pass rush summit, there's that part of me as a fan, right, that lizard brain, the fan lizard brain in me that's like, no, Vaughn, don't go share your secrets to the competition. Like, I do understand that psychology, but at the end of the day, you know, I mentioned Peyton Manning being a great ambassador for the NFL. This is the similar type of thing that Vaughn's doing. It's great for the league. It's great for... You know, the camaraderie and bond that some of these guys, they forge great friendships that last. And I I don't see anything at bottom. Like, I can sit here and and talk about that fan lizard brain that makes me wonder about Sharon Vaughn's, you know, special secrets. But so much of it isn't really technique anyway. Like, everyone's got their technique. Everyone's getting the coaching. What it really comes down to is, is that knack for setting up opponents throughout a game, you know, chaining together different pass rush moves to get the end result. And some players have a better knack and a feel for how and when to do that than others. And then uh, certain players like Vaughn have that elite skill set and trait and that bend and the twitch and the, you know, the get off that you just can't teach no matter what kind of pass rush summit in Avengers of pass rushing you assemble in (laughs) Vegas. I mean, all these guys are friends anyway. The NFL is a brotherhood. It's a fraternity. And if you think they aren't getting on FaceTime every day and just talking and shooting the crap about everyday things and mentioning their defense or they're mentioning how they're playing, you'd be naive to think that. If anything, it's it's a good look for the Broncos to have your best player, your cornerstone, being the one that everyone flocks to for help and everyone flocks to for advice. If anything, I think it's a good look for the Broncos. All right, last question here comes from another great listener of the show, Jedi Joshua 58 going on six months as a VIP subscriber as well. Joshua's another guy that does a great job helping us to engage on social media, promoting the show, so props to you. And then, of course, goes the extra mile to be a VIP and support us. So, Josh, we appreciate you, brother. He says, I don't know about you guys, but I'm feeling optimistic about this season. Who do you, each of the football priests, think ends up being the swing tackle and who do you think makes the roster safety-wise, Zach? Uh, I think they're going to cross-train a lot of the people to play different positions. They have Wilkinson, who can play tackle, and they have Reisner, who can play tackle. So they're going to be cross-training to you know ensure they have starters and backups there. In terms of the safeties, that's a, a tough spot to call before training camp. You have you know Simmons as a lock. Uh, you have Will Parks as a lock. DeMonte Thomas should be a lock. Then you have Sua Cravens, who's the wild card. He, the Broncos really tested him and put him on notice to say he has to learn the playbook. He has to succeed at one position to lock up his spot. So uh, past those three, it's all up in the air. You know, that I think three are locked in right now, but then you have Jamal Carter, you have Trey Marshall. It's all these different players competing for one or two more spots. I tweeted this. I think it was third. No, it was Wednesday. But the Cleveland Browns released Damon Harrison. 
and I think the Broncos should try and claim him on waivers. Now, they released him because he was showing up late to meetings and you know not basically being punctual and committed. So that question and concern does come into play. Do you want to insert a guy like that into the Vic Fangio death by inches thing? But who knows? Maybe it was just his own Harrison's passive-aggressive way of not wanting to be in Cleveland, trying to get out. I don't know. But his skill set is a great fit for what the Broncos are doing with the scheme, uh, the zone blocking scheme. He was claimed today, though. Was he claimed? By the Cardinals, yeah. Was he? All right. Yeah. So he, that would have been a good option. But as it relates to what the Broncos have currently, I think Chaz Green is going to factor in, at least throughout training camp. I think, honestly, my take is this. To answer your question, Josh, as – specifically as possible. I think when it comes down to it, the swing tackle is going to come down to one or two scenarios. The first being possibly Elijah Wilkinson. I think he makes the most sense because you know he's got live bullet starts in the NFL under his belt. And granted, it was a guard, but he's honestly more of a tackle. He looked like a tackle playing guard last year at right guard for the Broncos, those seven games that he started. So that to me would be option one. Option two, and it would not shock or surprise me to see this happen, is let's just say, knock on wood, something happens to Bowles or something happens to Jones. Uh, one of the guys go down. Well, I think Dalton Reisner at left guard could be tapped by Mike Munchak to kick out and swing out to wherever the hole is. Yep. I think that could honestly, I mean, I think that could happen. And he was a phenomenally dominant right tackle at Kansas State. Didn't allow a sack and all of last year anyway. I think it dates back to his junior year, in fact, that he's the last time he allowed a sack, maybe even earlier than that at right tackle. So one of those two scenarios to me seems like the most likely. But the question is, Zach, what would you do if you kick Dalton Reisner out to one of the tackle positions due to a need because of injury? Who would then rotate in and play left guard? That would be the question. I, I think I'd be most comfortable with Wilkinson playing guard and not tackle. I think he's better suited inside. Uh, I think he, he can succeed there. Then you have Sam Jones, and then if you're really getting desperate, then you have Austin Schlotman. So they're not exactly dying for bodies there. I just love Reisner's versatility. It's why he's on the team right now. He They feel like he can play all three positions, and they're going to get him ready to play all three. So if they have a whole center, guard, tackle, he can step in anywhere as needed. And it's, those players are invaluable. Don't forget your boy Chaz Green factoring into that left guard. That's right. We'll see how it shakes out. But there's still a long ways to go before we can really see what the coaches have in mind there. But I agree with you that it's a concern. I wrote an article for the VIPs this past week on the very subject. So it's something that's bothering me at the back of my conscience. And so hopefully uh, we'll get some answers here as it relates to that position. Maybe somewhere toward the end of July it'll start making a little bit more sense. But you know what, guys? That's going to do it for today's episode of the Huddle Up Podcast, the Mile High Mailbag. Another one in the books. Thanks to all of our great VIPs for the questions. And then of course, all our great VIPs just for subscribing our listeners, all of you, we appreciate you. You guys make what we do possible. And uh, so thank you. We're going to be back on uh, Monday for another episode. But in the meantime, of course, building the Broncos, will have a fresh episode waiting for you on Monday or on uh, Saturday, excuse me. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at huddle up pod. You can find my partner, Zach Kelberman, on Twitter, at Kelberman247. Myself, at Chad and Jensen. YouTube listeners, don't forget to like and comment. iTunes listeners, help us rack up those reviews. Give us your your five-star rating and creative review. You, You know we always appreciate that. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you on Monday. 
You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going. Is it time for a new heating and cooling system? Turn to the experts at Griffith Energy Services and Carrier today and get 0% financing for 18 months on a new heating and cooling system. Get the comfort you deserve from Griffith Energy Services and Carrier. Visit GriffithEnergyServices.com today for this and other exclusive offers. That's GriffithEnergyServices.com. License number MDHVACR01-2278. Griffith Energy Services. Doggone dependable. I think what flavor of these new Dunkin' Coconut Refreshers you get says a lot about you. Really? What's it say about me? Well, you got the refreshing golden peach because you're vibrant, fun, and positive. Oh, what about me? The bold purple pomegranate means you're vibrant, fun, and positive. I take it I got this delicious pink strawberry because I'm vibrant, fun, and positive. Yeah, it's a simple system, really. Share the shine. Enjoy a medium Dunkin' Coconut Refresher for $3. Order ahead plus earn rewards. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Limited time offer includes classic Dunkin' Refreshers.